COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it. It's Friday, 15th of May. Welcome to Coronavirus Watch. Natalie Bongiolo and Ben O'Shea joining you for this weekly COVID update. Ben, a couple of new cases in Western Australia this week. Where does that put us now? Well, overall, it's it's still good news. There were two new cases this week. Uh, a woman in her 30s who had uh, close contact with someone who had the virus and a contractor from the Pan Pacific Hotel, which we'll talk about later, which was being used as a, a quarantine hotel for, for people arriving in Western Australia. But it means there's still only been a two positive cases of COVID-19 in the past 14 days. So that's, that's pretty fantastic. Even better news uh, was the announcement today that As we speak right now, there are no active COVID cases in WA hospitals. The person who was lingering in the ICU uh, is now out of the ICU. They're not testing uh, positive for COVID-19, although they are still in hospital, Um, But which means there's only a handful of active cases statewide, I think seven in total, only one outside of the metro area. So that that is really great. Yeah, that is absolutely fantastic news. And, And, you know, we're all just waiting for the day when we have that big zero active cases. Now, what about nationally this week? We're at around 60 new cases this week. Yeah, about 60 new cases this week. Uh, But the concerning thing is that uh, 21 of those uh, have come from Victoria in the past Mm -hmm. 24 hours. They've had a bit of a spike uh, from outbreaks related to uh, the meatpacking plant and uh, McDonald's restaurant, uh, which has been the cause of some new infections. Uh, It brings the total for Australia to just under 7,000 confirmed cases nationally. Uh, And there's been another death this week, which brings the national total uh, to 98. But the positive news is we talked about just a second ago uh, WA working towards zero active cases. South Australia is already there. Uh, They announced that they have zero COVID-19 cases in that state. Uh, But meanwhile in Queensland, uh, they're having some concerns at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, They're worried that they're going to experience uh, an outbreak at a nursing home, a bit like we saw in New South Wales, uh, because a nurse uh, at an aged care facility in Rockhampton has tested positive. So we'll be watching that situation very closely in the coming days. Yeah, and this is, of course, the great concern is when you see a, um, you know, a, a, a outbreak somewhere and how we then contain that very, very quickly. Of course, internationally, we're now running into the millions of cases. Yeah, 4.4 million confirmed cases, Nat, and uh, 302,000 deaths from COVID-19 since this pandemic started. Yeah, it's just still um, a staggering number and it is actually very, very difficult to get your head around. Uh, So back here at home, some really significant changes uh, in the coming weeks and this Monday, many of the restrictions will be eased and starting, of course, with schools, which once again will be compulsory as of Monday and parents who don't send their kids without a valid medical reason uh, could face a fine of $1,000. But We have heard from the Education Minister who has really said, you know, she doesn't want to find people and they are really going to try and find a way to work through this, find a way forward so that every single child can get back to class and get the education they need. So they really just want to see kids back at school. They understand people's and parents' concerns, but they don't see any reason why we can't be getting back to compulsory education. Of course, we know that Uh, Small businesses have had an absolute 
shocking time. But come Monday, there will be many more things that they are able to open up and do uh, within limits, though. Yeah, that's right, Nat. The hospitality industry is probably the big beneficiary of uh, the easing of restrictions in the metro area. Uh, You're going to see cafes, bars and restaurants allowed to open for dine-in patrons. They'll have a maximum of 20 people allowed per premises, but that is bearing in mind that they also have to uh, conform to the uh, four square meter rule. So they can only have one person per four square meters, which will mean some venues won't be able to have 20 people. Uh, And so we're seeing already that there are different strategies being put in place uh, at places like uh, Island Market, which has a capacity of about 200. They'll have no worries fitting the 20 people. And I think they're going to do it in a couple of sittings per night. And they're doing like a lot of restaurants that I've been noticing, they're going to do a set menu. So I think having Having a full a la carte menu when you're only serving, you know, sort of 20 to 40 people a night is really not feasible. So what you're going to have instead is a lot of restaurants and bars and so forth offering, you know, a, a set course menu where you maybe pay, you know, 85 bucks or whatever it might be and you get an entree and a main and a dessert. They can base their ordering around that set menu. It makes it a lot easier and financially viable for the restaurants. Uh, but the important thing to note here as well is that uh, you can go to these bars and and uh, and things like that and have a drink but it has to be with a substantial meal and we know in the past it's kind of like the uh, it's like you know, the, the good, 80s again good friday <laughs> it's like the 80s or the good or the good friday rules or whatever it is where you know you you, you can't just go along and get a bowl of chips if you, and then sink 20 pints you have yep. to order a meal and then you can have a few drinks with that meal uh, and i think the key going forward for for people in the metro area is to be i guess uh a little bit, uh, a little bit sympathetic to the hospitality workers, uh, and don't just go to your favourite bar and expect to have a drink, and only want to spend, you know, seven bucks on a bowl of chips, and then argue the toss with the workers there. You know, give them a break and be sensible, uh, and stick to the rules, and because they're there to protect everybody. Uh, the other big beneficiary, of course, of this is going to be tourism operators, mm. uh, who, with the restrict, the easing of the travel restrictions uh, coming from Monday, is meant that there is going to be a massive ex. <laughs> from from Perth, especially to the southwest. We're already hearing that tourism operators down there in Margaret River and Bustleton and Dunsborough their phones have been ringing hot. The phone lines are literally melting, I think, yep. uh, with everybody in Perth who is keen to get out of the city for a long weekend or or book ahead for the school holidays. Well, um, I'm one you, of them because my parents you, live in Bustleton, so I, I will be in the, uh, in the traffic snail that's heading down south to see my family too. Oh yeah, next 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 Friday afternoon, I think it would uh, you'd rather be anywhere than on the freeway <laughs> because it's it is going to be bumper to bumper. Uh, you can also go uh, to the wheat belt if you're in Perth, and you can go down to Albany in the Great Southern as well, Denmark and and Pemberton and all those places. What you can't do still is go to the gold fields. You can't go to Esperance, and you can't really travel much further than north than uh, than Yanchip, mm. uh, because the all all of those areas are still locked off to people in the city and vice versa the people in those areas like the gold fields they can't they can't come out of their regions uh, and part of that is because of the concerns around uh, the aboriginal communities and their vulnerability to covid-19 uh, and so they're just taking a slowly slowly approach with those travel restrictions the premier said today that it, it, he's heartbroken uh, and he loves broome and he wished that uh, tourists were able to go up to broome because he knows how tough they're doing it in in places like broome and exmouth but it's just not possible at the moment they're going to listen to the 
better health advice on that. And hopefully uh, in the next phase of, of restriction easing, we might see uh, those travel restrictions eased as well. That's right. I mean, where he could go, though, was to Mandra, which he did. And uh, the press conference day was in beautiful Mandra, where he was absolutely greeted like a rock star. Uh, the uh, process from there was we had to consult the industry. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> he's from Rockingham, that bloke. Um, the, uh, thanks, Dad. How <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that? He's a rock star is the right he way to put it. He is. <laughs> I reported this week that uh, that uh, a, a really quite popular and cool streetwear label had just off their own back, they hadn't been prompted by the Labor Party, produced a T-shirt uh, in honour of Mark McGowan, <laughs> kind of celebrating him as the envy of world leaders. So, so yeah, he's, true. Uh, he's, he's killing it at the moment. There's no doubt about that. Well, he, and, he, uh, he absolutely by far is the most popular leader in the country right now and quite possibly in the world. In the world. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he was actually on fire this afternoon the sun was shining and he was asked by a reporter about the the footy players from the east coast and he called them pampered well this is what he had to say uh did i call them pampered um obviously wasn't obviously wasn't strong enough uh what i meant was overindulged and spoiled um clearly the victorian teams haven't covered themselves in glory here and uh they could have made the effort at least some of them we're only thinking two or three to come and hub in Western Australia, that was the opportunity. That was what the over the uh, the uh, the AFL, sorry, uh, wrote to us to. Um <laughs> I thought that was good. He got a laugh out of the out of the press gallery who were there at his press conference this afternoon. And yeah. I think it will certainly appeal to footy fans in Western Australia. Now, we know that there was at one point talk of the AFL having a, uh, a AFL hub here in Western Australia with some clubs from the East Coast coming over here and being based here for a few weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen, which has forced uh, the Eagles and the Dockers to now have to relocate to the Gold Coast for at least four weeks for the start of the season, which uh, the AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin announced today is back on from June 11. Uh, He said non-contact training is going to resume this Monday and full contact training is going to resume on May 25. But there are some differences from state to state as far as what's allowed. Uh, In South Australia, that is not going to be possible. So the Crows and uh, Port Adelaide are also going to be based at uh, a couple of golf course resorts on the Goldie. Uh, (laughs) What could possibly go wrong uh, sending sending professional football players to the Goldie. I don't know. But uh, Gil, was, it was interesting listening to him today. Uh, he He's paid credit to uh, everybody who's worked on this so far. He, he described it as an exciting day for footy fans. He thanked health workers. He encouraged people to download the COVID Safe app because I think, to be honest with you, I think that he knows that there are serious concerns from both the community and, and state governments and the federal government around what the return of the AFL could mean potentially for the spread of COVID-19 and Australia. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very different footy season, and it's hard to to think that the uh, the west Co- the Western Australian clubs are anything other than disadvantaged by yeah. this decision uh, to to be away from home. Gil McLaughlin said that uh, you know their 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 family members could come and visit them whenever they want at the Gold Coast, uh, and that would be uh, paid for by the AFL. But as we know in Western Australia, with our hard border closures. If, if, you know, someone's girlfriend or family or whatever goes to visit them at the Gold Coast, 
it's very difficult for them to come back to Western Australia. They'll be quarantined for 14 days. So clearly it's not an ideal situation for the Western Australian clubs. Uh, you, you know, you wish them all the best and you have to wonder how much do we really need to see footy back. But um, like like uh, all of the other industries that are restarting, footy at the end of the day is a professional industry and that's how these people make a livelihood. So I guess you've got to give them a chance to do that. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, the Premier did make quite a good point, particularly today when he was, you know, talking about them being pampered and, and spoiled. And he said, you know, it's still to him uh, a interesting decision that they would want to stay in Melbourne where coronavirus rates are so much higher. And I think that's what uh, seems to perplex him. And of course, you know, this hard border that we have here, it when will we be able to play football in Western Australia? Well, of course, we don't know. There, There is no answer to that. And how long is a piece of string? Um, well, he said even up to September, you know, the borders could still be closed. And as we know, you know, the footy grand final is supposed to be the last Saturday in September. So <laughs> is, it, is it that far-fetched that, uh, you know, the grand final itself could be played uh, at uh, Optus Stadium where the, uh, you know, the foot, football's glittering jewel uh, over here in the West if, if the coronavirus is still uh, pretty much non-existent in Western Australia, but that's not the case in Victoria. Mm. Maybe you could play it here to a full stadium. Yeah, that's I don't right. Know. I mean, it is absolutely absolutely a moving feast and and you know even in terms of the fixtures you know fans are still will have to wait to find out uh, what the fixtures are moving forward so it's still very very interesting another major announcement today was this joint campaign between the government and the chamber of minerals and energy and so the major resource companies are now wanting to encourage fifo workers to move to western australia permanently so as we know each week thousands of uh, people fly in and out of melbourne and brisbane and sydney but the government really wants to lure these people to settle here permanently which was you know a really interesting thing and and the premier said there would be incentives and hinted that maybe one of those incentives would be housing incentives and I guess I mean the rationale must be that you know for Western Australia if we can grow our population we can grow our economy out of this COVID disaster. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are some massive uh, positives for Western Australia, both uh, for our economy and also for the communities in these uh, regional areas, in the Pilbara and whatnot. Uh, if they can have more permanent residents, I think that would be fantastic. Uh, interestingly, listening to the Premier today, I was uh, I was quite fascinated to hear him describe the FIFO work and the impact that it has on people. You know, he said that uh, flying across the country every couple of weeks is clearly, he clearly was his word, clearly bad for your family life. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting because, you know, if, if you're based in Brisbane or if you're based in Perth, does it really make much of a difference uh, in terms of, you know, how FIFO work impacts your family life if if your uh, partner or whatever is going up to the Pilbara? They're still in another postcode. You still can only talk to them via, uh, you know, sort of video chats or phone. Uh, yeah, so I, I think FIFO is definitely tough on everybody. Uh, and so I wonder even if, uh, if uh, people who live in Perth and, and make the commute up to the Pilbara or to the various mining regions might also consider moving up to those regions permanently. And some changes ahead with elective surgery because we know that some people uh, have had their surgeries postponed for a very long time. So what's going to be happening there? 
Yeah, well, we started to see some of those elective surgeries uh, rescheduled and have happened uh, in the most urgent cases and uh, and people who've been waiting the longest. Uh, the Premier said today that we'd seen up to about a quarter of the usual number of procedures uh, be allowed under the easing of restrictions. From this Monday, it'll be ramped up to 50% of the usual number of elective procedures happening in hospitals. Uh, the focus will be on those Category 1 and Category 2 uh, surgeries. That are, that are really quite uh, significant to people's health and the emphasis will be on those who have been waiting the longest. Uh, and so that'll be really positive news for a lot of people who have been uh, really for a few months now waiting for whether it's uh, knee procedures yeah. or or uh, things to do with uh, sort of cancer treatment. There's a lot of serious surgeries. You think elective surgery and you think it's someone getting a nose job, but, yes. there's, but there's actually a lot of very health critical surgeries that need to happen uh, and people will be, you know, very nervous Nervously waiting uh, for their for their time to get those surgeries. That's right, and they're looking at spreading that out across the country. In Canberra, Scott Morrison held another national cabinet uh, today, and th- this really has been a raging success. I would have thought. I mean, the way the state leaders have all come together and helped work through this has actually been quite extraordinary. Yeah, and you hope this level of cooperation continues. Uh, ScoMo said today that, you know, the state leaders uh, mentioned in the National Cabinet meeting today that, you know, they've met more in the past 10 weeks than they have in the past 10 years. Uh, And it's great to see uh, them coming together to discuss what is really a common problem, even though it is different from state to state. But one thing that uh, that all the states have in common is uh, how grim the employment situation is in Australia at the moment. Uh, they announced this week that, you know, there's some 600,000 uh, new uh, people unemployed in April alone. Uh, and it would have been even more if it wasn't for the JobKeeper initiative from the federal government helping to keep some workers on the books of employers. Otherwise, you know, it would have been really terrible. And ScoMo also said today that uh, as we look forward to restarting the economy and ways in which we can, you know, start to get people back into work, that tourism operators have an important role to play because he mentioned that, and he's a a former, you know, sort of Tourism Australia guy himself, so he knows a bit about this. He said that uh, Aussie tourists spend uh, $20 billion a year when they travel overseas. Now that's not possible. So, Australian tourism operators need to think about how they can have a crack at that $20 billion and get that spent within Australia. Absolutely. And each state, it's interesting how they have been coming together, but it's interesting that each state is doing their own separate things depending on what's happening um, with their people and, and with their infections. So it might be helpful if we just have a, a state-by-state wrap of the restrictions. So starting with New South Wales, what are you able to do there? Yeah, so it is interesting to compare what we're doing in Western Australia to everybody else. In New South Wales, restaurants and bars can now have 10 people in uh, dining in. In, a, in Perth and Western Australia, of course, it's 20, and people were complaining about that. 10 even worse. Uh, travel is not permitted, um, but the state borders are, are not closed, so you can travel into New South Wales. Uh, in Victoria, you can still only get takeaway from restaurants. They're very concerned about um, community spread, and they've had that 
spike that we spoke about earlier. Uh, you can travel around Victoria, but you're not allowed to stay overnight. There's no Air Airbnbs, no hotels, nothing like that. Uh, no community sport is happening uh, or is on the horizon, uh, but the border of Victoria is not closed. Uh, in Queensland, you can take day trips up to 150 kilometres. I don't know how they came up with that distance. Uh, beauty salons can reopen, which is not the case here in Western Australia. Uh, and restaurants and bars only in regional areas are allowed to seat 20 people. In Brisbane, you're not allowed to dine in still. Uh, and the borders in, in Queensland are closed. In South Australia, their borders are also closed. They've never really had the strict laws that some other states did, but now restaurants are allowed to seat 10 people in a dining room. Uh, Tasmania, uh, restaurants also can seat 10 people. Uh, their borders are closed and they're only just reopening schools, which will happen Monday week. Uh, and the NT, which we know is a few head, a few weeks ahead of WA, uh, so they've got some uh, more relaxed restrictions, uh, but their border is still remaining closed. Like Western Australia, uh, you know, they're trying to take advantage of, of that uh, hard border closure to keep their cases uh, extremely low. And you can see the states that do have the hard border closures are the states where the numbers are very, very low. So clearly that does have a very, very good effect. Um, of course, it does make it very difficult in terms of the economy. So moving internationally uh, into the US, they have seen their largest daily increase of cases this week and they had 21,000 cases in a 24-hour period, which is uh, just staggering and terrible yeah. and they're still really working so hard to get on top of it. And again, of course, Donald Trump has been under fire, this time from Barack Obama, and he's basically said that the president's handling of, of COVID is a chaotic disaster. Well, as he would, Donald Trump has basically fired back and said, oh, well, you know, Obama didn't have a clue when he was handling the swine flu pandemic in 2009. So it is just interesting um, seeing pointing fingers and, and blame games and what have you. And of course, you know, tension uh, between the US and China is not good. And in China, they are really seeing some interesting changes over there. Yeah, well, where the pandemic started, uh, and I'm not calling for a uh, for an investigation or anything, so I don't want to damage trade relations with China. But uh, in Wuhan, uh, you know, they've they've seen some new cases recently, which suggest that uh, COVID-19 can actually flare up in people who previously have thought that they had recovered from the virus. And the interesting thing here is the time frame that we're talking about. They're they're suggesting uh, Chinese epidemiologists. Uh, suggesting that it could be as much as 50 days later that COVID-19 is reoccurring in people who were believed to have recovered completely. Um, but it's not all bad news in China. There's a new study has found that uh, because of the reduction in air pollution, because industry has been closed down and travel has been closed down, uh, there could be more than 10,000 air pollution-related deaths that will now not happen. Uh, like in, in Wuhan alone, for example, there's been a 63% reduction in nitrogen dioxide concentrations. Wow. And so now they believe that the the number of lives saved from this uh, reduction in air pollution might end up outweighing the official death toll in China from COVID-19, which is really staggering. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And interesting, in some countries where um, they've been reopening, they've now had to wind back the easing of their restrictions. 
Yeah, well, this is really relevant to us in Australia as we progress towards uh, reopening the economy. In France, uh, you know, they have had very strict lockdown. People are basically confined to their houses for the last couple of months. That was eased. And this week we saw crowds of Parisians descending en masse to the, the banks of the Seine River mm-hmm. uh, to, to to literally toast the easing of restrictions, completely ignoring uh, social distancing laws, which has forced the police to now ban the consumption of alcohol by the Seine. One of the most romantic spots in the world uh, to teach people a lesson. Uh, and, and other countries are having similar issues. In Lebanon, uh, they uh, have had to reimpose restrictions just two weeks after believing that they had gotten COVID-19 under control. Uh, and now they've they've imposed a strict four-day total lockdown to allow officials to assess the situation and see what's going on. South Korea, as we know, <laughs> weeks and weeks ago, we reported that they were getting on top of it with all their contact tracing and testing and everything like that. Um, they opened bars and clubs, but now they've had to rescind that order. Bars and clubs are closed again because there's been a spike in cases. And the president has even told the country, you know, they need to brace for a second wave that's going to hit. Uh, in Wuhan, uh, which we just mentioned a second ago, uh, they've now ordered the testing of 11 million inhabitants after wow. a cluster of new infections. So that's, you know, you can do that in China. You, you couldn't do that in any other country. Um, But that was, you know, this comes five weeks after the city had kind of announced that they'd gotten rid of COVID-19. And then you've got countries like India and Russia, where they're easing restrictions, uh, even though the number of new infections in both those countries is continuing to soar almost uncontrollably. So, yeah, it's the the debate around uh, when to ease restrictions and what the easing of those restrictions might look like, I think, is being fiercely had uh, from country to country. Uh, We're very lucky here in Western Australia that we have such a low rate of infection and soon it's quite possible we will have zero active cases of COVID-19 in Western Australia, which gives us I guess, a little bit more flexibility, but uh, you certainly wouldn't want to uh, go easy on things like personal hygiene and washing your yes. hands and, and and kind of taking for granted the importance of social distancing. I think that has kind of been what's been forgotten uh, in this discussion of easing restrictions. You know, you can go to bars and restaurants as of Monday, you can travel uh, around some areas of the state as of Monday and catch up with more people, but social distancing has to be maintained because we see what happens when an outbreak starts. It's very hard to stop. That's right. Let's hope that everyone travelling down south next week keeps their social distance, whether it be at the Bustleton Jetty or at the Dunsborough Beach. Keep keep apart from one another and keep washing your hands and singing happy birthday to yourself twice. (laughs) Now, now the sting of the the week would have to go to Guns N' Roses, who've created a T-shirt, which now I am predicting this is going to fly off the shelves. Yeah, yeah. So, so Obama kind of stuck it to Trump this week, but I think Guns and Roses <laughs> ripped him the best. Uh, and so this, this, it comes after uh, Donald Trump toured a mask-making facility and and infamously did not wear a mask himself, even though that is kind of the the rules and the advice around America at the moment. And the staff weren't particularly happy at this at this factory. And so in the background, while Trump was walking around, they were playing a Guns N' Roses song, it was a cover version, uh, of Live and Let Die uh, as as the president was touring the facility. And so now Guns N' Roses have released a special edition Live and Let Die t-shirt that has COVID-45. The 45 uh, relates to the 
Donald Trump being the president number 45 of America. <laughs> and the $25 T-shirt, the proceeds of the sales are going to go to a COVID-19 relief fund. So I think it's only appropriate that uh, we listen to this song from Guns N' Roses and we dedicate it to Donald Trump. Well, not sure how he'll take that. He's uh, not one to um, to have a laugh at himself. Usually, expect a few <laughs> expect a few tweets, Nat. I would suggest. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the latest for Friday, fifteenth of May. Thanks for your company. Join us, Natalie Bonjolo and Ben O'Shea, next week for Coronavirus Watch. Ciao for now.